from the socially sanitized studios of Rodale Institute Radio and Television at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA, it's time for another amateur episode of Chemical Free Horticultural Hijinks. You bet your garden. I'm your host, Mike McGrath. Seed companies and nurseries are reporting a record number of new customers, and social distancing doesn't apply to tomatoes. They only have to be a foot apart. And so on today's show, we'll get you ready for your freshman year with 26, count them, 26 tips for surefire success. Eh, maybe. Plus your fabulous phone call questions, comments, tips, tricks, suggestions, and gregariously grandiose gentrifications. So keep your eyes and or ears right here, true believers, because it's all coming up faster than you eating food that was growing in your backyard before the groundhog got it right after this. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Lehigh Valley Health Network. In life, we have many kinds of partners, school bus partners, business partners, even gardening partners. Shouldn't you have one for the most important aspect of life, your health? Lehigh Valley Health Network, your health deserves a partner. Welcome to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio and Television at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. I'm pretty sure I am your host, Mike McGrath. And this is an all-new show, Cats and Kittens. Yes, we continue to sneak into the studio when nobody is looking and tape new shows because we know how many of you are starting new gardens this year, perhaps for the first time ever. And so our question of the week, 26, count them, 26 tips for first-time gardeners. But of course, we're also going to take lots of your fabulous phone calls, which we're routing through a payphone in downtown Bethlehem. So, 833-727-9588. John, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hey, Mike, how are you doing today? I am just Ducky, John. Thank you for asking. And those of you on TV will notice that Ducky is wearing his protective mask and practicing social distancing from his friends over here. How are you, John? I'm just fine and uh, spending a lot of time in the house. Uh, yeah, you and you and me and everybody else. Uh, what? Where is your house, John? Jonesboro, Tennessee. Oh, okay, very good. You should be outside enjoying the weather. Well, I'm outside working when it's not raining. Okay, very good. What can we do for you, sir? I have a 20 by 30 asparagus bed mm -hmm. that I've had for about, oh gosh, 20 years. Right. Um, when I first started it, it was beautiful. It of took course. a couple of years to establish asparagus. Right. But since that time, uh, since I'm right next to a farmer's field where he plants corn every year, right. I've ended up with uh, Johnson grass in amongst my asparagus and a climbing weed with a pinkish flower. Okay. All right, John. Gee, I'm sorry. We're out of time for this decade, so we'll... <laughs> you're in a world of trouble, son. Um, no, I, I, I agree with you. Okay. So... Johnson grass has the distinction of being listed as one of the top 10 noxious weeds in the world. It spreads by seed 
and by underground rhizomes. The climbing weed you described could well be bindweed. It's, um, I don't know if it's a relative of morning glory, but the flowers look like morning glories, just different colors. And it is, again, a pernicious, perennial weed. Um, how's, been, how's the production been of your asparagus the last couple of years? Uh, actually, pretty good. Uh, it has dropped off, but it still has been good. Now, this year, it's starting a little late because of all the rain we've had. Right. But it's starting to come up. So you can still fight your way in there and harvest a good amount of spears. Oh, yes, sir. All right. I will tell you right off the bat, there is only one way to reclaim that bed. And that is to mow everything to the ground in late winter, uh, level, well, actually saturate the entire bed with water until it is totally saturated, until it can't hold any water anymore and then stretch clear plastic over top and make sure the plastic is held down at the sides by bricks or rocks, something to keep it nice and tight. And then if that plastic stays on all summer long you, and, and you get a decent amount of sunshine, you will solarize that bed. You'll kill the rhizomes, You'll kill the asparagus, you'll kill the Johnson grass, you'll kill the bindweed, and then you'll start with a clean slate. Now, Johnson grass uh, spreads by seed as well as by rhizomes. Did you send me an email asking me if you could use corn gluten meal? Yes, I did. So corn gluten meal would prevent the dropped seed from sprouting if you spread it at 20 pounds per thousand square feet. Oh my goodness. Well, uh, you know, it, it sounds like a lot, but a lot of people do it. And um, it would also, in my experience, at least with morning glory, uh, those flowers drop a lot of seed after they fade. So again, the um, natural pre-emergent inhibiting power of the corn gluten meal would prevent the seeds of both plants from going on, but they wouldn't harm the rhizomes. So you wouldn't get any new plants, but the old plants would survive from the okay. root. So since you're getting good production, and since, what do you feed your asparagus? Uh, well, you know what? I have not fed it much of anything. Okay. Well, asparagus is typically very nitrogen hungry. And oh, cor okay. corn gluten meal is, ten yeah, it's not a flowering plant. It's actually a form of a grass. So just like a lawn grass, it wants nitrogen and no other nutrients. And corn gluten meal is 10% nitrogen by weight. So by using that 20 pounds of corn gluten meal per thousand square foot of area, you would, uh, and you would do this in early spring, 
you would stop the development of any new weed seeds and you'd give your asparagus a darn good feeding. So if you want to continue with your current plot, and again, since you're having good production, um, the answer would be to um, cut the Johnson grass at the soil line as soon as you see it. Now, I know you're not going to get it all. But if you continue to cut, because this is a very tall grass, right? This stuff grows six, seven feet. Oh, yeah. And it did last year when I was, we were out of town. Mm -hmm. When we got home, I had, <laughs> you couldn't even see the asparagus. I believe it. I believe it. So um, it would take a concentrated effort. But if you continue to cut the new growth of the Johnson grass, the rhizomes will eventually die. The same thing is true of the bindweed. But here you have a more interesting possibility. Um, have you ever heard me talk about flame weeders, handheld propane flame weeders? Yes. If you go out into your asp asparagus patch and simply torch the new flowers as soon as they appear, that will weaken the rhizome. And, of course, then no seed can possibly drop. Okay. What I've been doing is as the... the the uh, plant comes above ground, I've been cutting it off. That's perfect. You know. And that's perfect. Now, if you want to do the soil solarization, what I would suggest is, do you have enough land to start a new asparagus patch? I wish. <laughs> okay, so you don't. No, I don't. Okay. So, well, actually, if I take the other half of the garden, which doesn't have that problem, right. Uh, I could probably start my a new asparagus bed in that other side. Yeah, but what do you normally grow there? Uh, vegetables, tomatoes, yeah. peppers. Yeah, you don't want to you don't want to give up your tomatoes and peppers. So uh, no, I don't. Um, if things get desperate, remember soil solarization. You can go to our website, youbetyourgarden.org. Click on answers to all your garden questions. Type in soil solarization and it'll give you step-by-step -step instructions. Otherwise, okay. if the production is good, I would just lay out and head on, fight the bindweed and Johnson grass by cutting it as it emerges. What I do in a situation like this is I'll declare 20 minutes or 30 minutes every nice morning, go out there, cut a lane, cut a corner, and just keep doing that every day. Get you out in the morning. You don't get exhausted. You don't try to do it all at once. And it can be remarkably effective. It actually stops running bamboo if you keep at it for a year or two. Okay. All right, sir? Sounds good. I'll give them a try. All right. Good luck to you. Appreciate that. Take care, Mike. You too, sir. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. 833-727-9588. Paulette. Welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi. Hello, Paulette. How you doing? We're doing great. And where is Paulette doing great? In Balakinwood, Pennsylvania. Or Balea Sinwood. Yes, yeah. I know it well. Right off of City Line Avenue. Right. It's really Belmont Hills. It's up on the hill. Okay. Overlooking the expressway. Oh, what a beautiful view. The short kill crawlway. Right. <laughs> All right. What can we do for Paulette? Okay. Now, I know it's late in the season, but I would like to uh, know 
if you can start in the garden seeds of tomato plants. Uh, plant seeds. Yeah. For tomatoes. Yeah. No. No. I know. Now, what a lot of people will do is a very fast-growing crop, a very fast-maturing crop, a summer crop, like zucchini. Mm-hmm. A lot of people will direct seed that into their garden beds. But uh, tomatoes are going to take 7 to 10 days to sprout, and then they're really not supposed to be outdoors until they're 6 or 8 weeks of age. Mm. Um, and then the earliest tomato, the one that would give you small slicing tomatoes, the earliest of any other variety, would be 55 days. Wow. So so do the math. The kids are going to be back in school before you're eating any tomatoes. Right. (laughs) Why do you want to grow from seed, especially outdoors? I I just um, sometimes I get a little volunteer come up around that this time of the year and we have a really long growing season and I have five foot walls around my property. So sometimes I can go until late December with getting tomatoes. Okay. That's interesting. That's an old ancient uh, technique of the walled garden, because as you know, uh, the walls themselves build up heat during the day and radiate it back at night. And they also protect your garden from cold breezes. But I would say there's, app. you know what, where do you normally get your tomato starts? What, a local garden center? Um, sometimes I get them uh, through Burpee in the mail. Sometimes I go to uh, one of the big box stores. Don't go to the big box stores. Um, you know, the local independent garden centers have been out there sometimes for 100 years, family-run businesses, generations old, and... You know, big box store moves in, and all of a sudden your favorite hardware store, your garden center goes out of business. Right. You really got to support these local businesses. I mean, I don't need to add, especially now, but I think oh, yes. <laughs> I think garden I think garden centers are going to have a good spring. So right. do the right thing. I mean, I love Burpee. Uh, Burpee when they ship live plants, they do an amazing job. They have. Fabulous packaging. Um, And buy some locally as well. And if you want to do an experiment, I would urge you to play the DTM game, Days to Maturity. If you're going to put tomato seeds in the ground, you want to stick to a Days to Maturity of between 55 and 65 days. That way, you've got a shot at tomatoes. But you know, the other issue here is when tomato sprouts are very small, that's when they're prone to cutworms, rabbit attack, all these other issues. Um, Mm -hmm. Things like sweet corn, string beans, lettuces, they all need to be direct seeded, and they kind of, their DNA works with that. Uh, But tomatoes are the classic, put six to eight week old starts in the ground. Great, will do. And that way, that way you'll play both ends and you'll be able to call me back in December and tell me what happened. I will. I will do that. All right. Very good. Definitely. Okay. I'm off to the local garden store. Excellent. And, uh, and I know I there, there are several in your area. 
that have been around forever and they're wonderful. Like Ots. Yeah. Oh, I love to go out to Ots just to walk through the glass house. Oh, yeah. They have this beautiful, uh, what, domed greenhouse, all glass and... Um, uh, is it uh, is it copper? I mean, it's just no, no, absolutely no. beautiful. You, I love just driving up to it because it keeps getting bigger. It's like you know, I know, yeah, being in one of the great botanic gardens. It's beautiful. Yes. All right. Give them <laughs> right. my regards. All right. I'll talk to you in December. Right? All right. You take, take care. care. Good Thank luck. you. Stay safe. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and remind everyone that you are listening to an all-new episode of You Bet Your Garden as we continue to sneak into the studio because there ain't nobody here to stop us. I smell a puppet show coming up. Beanie and cilantro, Bertie the Beanie. Yeah, man, I gotta get out of the house more often. But don't go trying to sneak out to your grocery store just yet, Sherman, because we'll be right back with more of your fabulous phone calls and a list of everything you need to know to be a successful first-time food grower. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to an all-new You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by Rodale Institute. Join the Rodale Institute online for Tea Time in Your Garden, an online workshop on Wednesday, May 20th, wherein you will learn how compost tea can fertilize all your plants. Details and registration at RodaleInstitute.org. Rodale Institute, because the future is organic. Welcome back to another thrilling, all-new episode of You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath. Coming up later in the show... This is going to be a record year for first-time gardeners. Seed companies are selling out. Nurseries can't keep up with demand. So in the question of the week, we're going to give you 26 tips I think I came up with um, in nine minutes to help you get your first garden to be a success. There may be some stuff there for you experienced gardeners as well. So hang on through a couple more of your fabulous phone calls at 833-727-9588. Denise, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thank you very much, Mike. Well, thank you, Denise. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. How are you doing today? I am just Ducky. Thanks for asking. And those of you on TV can see that Ducky is wearing his protective mask and he's social distancing from the robot. So... We're, we're doing our part here. Where are you, Denise? 
I'm calling from Springfield, Delaware County, Pennsylvania. Very good. Just outside of Philadelphia. Yes, sir. All right. What can we do you for? Well, I'm calling because I, um, around the holidays, around December, I bought a bunch of those little uh, uh, herbs at the grocery store that are planted in their little tiny pots of dirt, and I sort of kept them alive on my desk by a southern-facing window all these months, and then I recently replanted them in bigger pots and put them on my enclosed back porch. But what I'm finding is, in order to get them enough sun, I'm moving them from one window to another window every day because I catch the morning sun in one window and the afternoon sun in another window just to make sure they get enough sun to actually grow properly. And I also, especially with what's going on now, I also have some onions cutting rooting, cutting onion cuttings rooting and some garlic rooting, and I'm hoping to plant that. And I also have some seeds I'm planning to plant of some heirloom lettuces and mint, and I'm hoping to sort of clutter up my whole back porch with this, you know, edible stuff, but I don't know if I can keep up with, you know, moving things from window to window. That's a space issue also. So my question is about grow lights. Mm-hmm. And what kind of grow lights you would recommend where my thinking is I can put a grow light on one window, a grow light near the other window, and at least half the day they can get the, the sun from the window and then I can time it so the grow light pops on and gives them the rest of the sun and I can, you know, sit inside in my rocking chair and just watch everything happening. <laughs> so you're giving it up already, right? You're, <laughs> yeah. you're Grandma yeah. Rose, Moses rocking back and forth there. You got to have yeah. the, the Mennonite cap on, too, at the same time and, and be doing yarning, you know. <laughs> okay, so uh, I presume you have no outdoor space? I have outdoor space, and I had planned on putting in a raised bed, hopefully this spring at one sunny spot. I had to cut a couple big trees down um, last summer, so it actually opened up some sun in my yard. But my problem is um, I have very hungry rabbits, squirrels, and deer. And in fact, there's like a a bunch of deer that seem to come up almost every morning and nibble things right down. And I see their hoof tracks going right up, you know, through the neighbor's yard. So um, it's just hard for me to grow anything that doesn't get, you know, right to the nubs. Right, exactly. Just let me do a little uh, divergence here and say that deer are easily controlled with a motion-activated sprinkler. You buy okay. you buy one of these things, you hook it up to your hose and turn the water on full blast and nothing happens till something breaks the beam. And of course, mm-hmm. deer are bigger than humans. So they, mm-hmm. they break the beam and the sprinkler jumps on scares the bejesus out of them, and then hits them with Mm -hmm. a couple of cups of cold water. Mm, Okay. Rabbits in America do not dig. So a fence Mm. that's a foot, foot and a half, two feet high is enough to keep rabbits out of any defined area. Okay. Evil squirrels are another (laughs) matter entirely. They Mm -hmm. are very tough to defeat. Mm. In terms of grow lights, I do not endorse anything that's called a grow light. Okay. But I think your ideas are sound. I have done, I have a, a sunny south-facing window that because of a lot of foliage outside and trees and everything, doesn't get as much sun as I'd like. So I hang over that window a two-tube shop light, four-foot okay. four long bulbs, Mm-hmm. And modern shop lights have what are called T8 bulbs. These are okay. thinner than the old fluorescent tubes, mm-hmm. um, much more energy efficient, 
and brighter. Okay. And when you're shopping for the tubes, you can get, you know, the shop lights and the tubes in any home store. Uh, when you're shopping for the tubes, look for the, the paper sleeve around them, mm -hmm. which, which will have a rating of lumens, L-U-M-E-N-S. Okay. And it's really simple. If there's a bunch of different brands, you're going by lumens. You want the highest okay. number of lumens. And unlike your suggestion, I left that shop light on, I had it to come on at 8 o'clock in the morning and go off at midnight. Okay. So even with the sun, I had the shop light on in addition to it. Now, that wasn't too much. That wasn't too much light for your plants. You come on. When your <laughs> when your plants are outside, they're being doused with radiation of a thousand exploding nuclear devices every second. You know. Okay. All right. It's hard to duplicate that. Now, if you want to go for the big money, you know, the final jeopardy, you go out and get a four tube fixture. These are generally used as ceiling lights but they can easily be made into plant lights. You can hang them or you can prop them up on bricks or something like that. And then you don't need no window. Huh. Then you, okay. can, you can have this in any part of your house. And sseometimes I'll leave the lights on 24/7. Uh, but if you wish, you can turn them off at midnight and on again at 8 a.m. And because there's four of these tubes, each of which has like 4,000 lumens, you're really giving the plants a lot of light. And one of the many advantages of a four-tube fixture is the plants can be a little further away from the light and not get leggy. With a two-tube fixture, you want to keep the tops of the plants really close to the tubes themselves. And of course, fluorescent light is cool, so it doesn't get harmed. Now, if you want to go for door number four, there are now LED lights in the shape of fluorescent tubes. I saw these when I was in Wilkesboro um, doing a home show earlier in the spring. They had them backstage, and I was amazed. These things were super bright, and you could see that they were not one continuous electrified field. They were a number of smaller lights, but the intensity was amazing. I, I don't know what these things cost, but of course we know that LEDs will last practically forever and they cost almost nothing to run. So the amortization effect would be monstrous. Okay. And okay. these are, you know, these would be lights you could grow herbs under, you could grow lettuce under. I would just not try to grow um, fruiting plants like tomatoes or, or peppers indoors. That starts to get tricky. Okay, gotcha. What about mint indoors? Oh, mint will grow anywhere. Mint will grow on the roof of your car if you throw okay. the seeds up there. Okay, gotcha. Matter of fact, um, I, I might plant the mint outside. What kind of mint? Um, peppermint. Yeah, um, it's, it's very strong. I don't, you know, first of all, you got the motion-activated sprinkler. That may chase some of the evil squirrels away. And you put up, like I said, a very small fence. American rabbits don't dig. Right. In, and they can't jump very well. So just a small fence will keep them out. But um, mint, to me, tends to be an animal repellent rather than attraction, especially as the plants get large. Um, mm -hmm. The larger the plant, the kind of um, more, uh, more fibrous it is. 
and the less attractive. But, um, you know, I, I'm thinking in the back of my head, deer probably would eat mint last. Okay. All right. So I'll just plant that outside then. I would. I wouldn't see what happens. You reserve some seeds for inside if I'm wrong. Yeah. It would okay. be the first time, but it could happen. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I used to have a lot of mint growing when I first moved to this home, and I kept ripping out a lot of it because it was like a, you know, it It's a weed. Yeah, it I just grows bit, everywhere. I made the mistake of ripping it all out. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, I rip my lemon balm out, which is technically a mint every fall, and I still get 20 plants in the spring. Oh, nice. All right. Well, good luck to you. Thank you very much, Mike. Take my, care. My pleasure. You too. Be safe. 833-727-9588. Patrick, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thanks. Hi, Mike. Hi, Patrick. How you doing? I'm doing great. And where is Patrick doing great? I am on the shores of the Columbia River in a sailboat. Oh, that is that is great. Are you by yourself? Do you have a sailing mate? I uh, just dropped off my wife and daughter last night, and I'm here with my dog. Oh, okay. Um, uh, do you sleep on it? How big is it? I do. It's it's 26 feet, um, so it sleeps the three of us comfortably. Oh, that's great. And what's the Columbia like this time of year? Today it's beautiful. It's, uh, it's about 70 degrees, they say it's going to get, with a light southern breeze. Okay, sounds nice. All right. You know... I'm in a dark studio all alone in Pennsylvania, and when I leave, I have to wear a mask. All right, what can we do you for, Patrick? Well, I had a question about growing squash. Okay. So uh, I guess we've tried it both ways where you grow it on, you know, I guess everyone says you're supposed to grow it on a mound. No. But I've, last year, I tried growing it flat, and it did much better without a mound. Um, I was just wondering what your take was on it. Now, where is your garden? You're not gardening on the sailboat. No, it's Spokane, Washington. Oh, okay. So um, this whole thing about growing in mounds confounds me because I don't get the purpose. When you build up a mound, that area is going to dry out First, because it's raised, it's subject to the winds and everything. And I know from having listeners in your area since the beginning of time that Spokane is not Seattle. It is. Uh, it, it can be very dry where you are over the summer. Right. So you don't want a mound. I can't think, you know, people plant potatoes in mounds, and that exposes the tubers to sunlight and ruins them. I don't get it. Raised beds are all you need. You should be raised above the surrounding soil, but then the, the soil in the, in the bed should be flat, period. End of, end of contest, end of sentence. Right. Well, that's, that's what I thought. Um, but all the literature out there talks about mounds. And, uh... why, why do you think so many people like this show despite me? <laughs> because I just don't go back to books and magazines and repeat errors that people have been making for 50 years. Right. I actually do this stuff. <laughs> so is that all you need? Uh, I mean, I had a question about my peach tree. Oh, goodness gracious. I'm so sorry for you, sir. But go ahead. Okay. Uh, well, they're, they're blooming right now, 
Uh, and aren't the flowers beautiful? Gorgeous. Yeah, so yeah. enjoy them. <laughs> um, and every year, we've had it for eight years, it, um, it blooms. Right. And then it leafs out. Mm-hmm. And then the leaves, every year, they, they, they look fine at first, but within a week or two, they curl up, mm-hmm. turn red, and fall off. Right. Peach. And then, and peach. then it leaves out again, and, oh. it, and it is fine after that, and it actually sets fruit. So what's your complaint? You're getting a show, and then you're getting dessert. I'm just thinking maybe I can get more. Yeah, yeah, sure. You're lucky. Peaches are one of the hardest things to grow either organically or conventionally. What you have is a condition called peach tree curl. And have you tried anything at all um, to spray on the tree after uh, the blossom drop? You know, I haven't. Well, the old-time remedy for this would be a solution of copper. And it's entirely organic, and you can get... um, Solutions of copper that are made to spray on fruit trees. Um, You can get it online or in any better independent garden center. There's also an ancient, and I mean back to Roman times, treatment called Bordeaux mix. And that's a mixture of copper and lime. And you can research that. I'll bet you you can even find that pre-mixed, although most large-scale orchards uh, do it themselves. But uh, as long as you're getting peaches at the end of the deal, I wouldn't complain at all. But if you, if you want to try to keep that, uh, that first set of, uh, of leaves there, I would try a copper spray or a Bordeaux spray. And, you know, they'll both come with instructions for how often to do it, reapply after rain, yada, yada. But you're not going to get uh-huh. two crops of peaches. I mean, you don't have a fig tree. It's not going to fruit. Right. For, it's not going to fruit for you twice. Right. Right. And most. Well, people, I just kept thinking that it was going to kill the tree eventually, but um, every year it, it does the same thing. So. No. Well, I mean, and that's that's basically it. An object in motion tends to stay in motion. So you should expect what happens after the peach tree curl to happen again. Um, and if you want to try and combat it, fine. I'd be happy at getting the peaches. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I am, I am happy with what I'm getting. All right. Well, don't look for trouble. Spend more time out on the water. <laughs> okay. All right, Pat? All right. All right. Good luck to you, sir. All right. Well, thanks a lot, Mike. I love your show. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and remind you that you are listening to an all-new episode of You Bet Your Garden because there doesn't seem to be anyone in the building to stop us. But don't go looking for your favorite face mask to go out to the garden just yet, because we'll be right back with more of your fabulous phone calls and 26, count them, 26 tips to help first-time growers succeed, at least until the deer show up. Anyway, I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA.
support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome back to an all-new episode of You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath, and we're in the stretch now, cats and kittens. In just a little bit, we'll have 26 tips for you to have a successful first-time gardener. And I bet some of those tips are going to help out long-time gardeners as well. So you won't want to miss it, and you won't. It's coming up after a couple more of your fabulous phone calls at 833-727-9588. Paulette, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Paulette? Uh, my name is Rose. Your name is, why did you say yes to Paulette before? No, I'm terribly sorry. <laughs> uh, I'm confused here? enough. I thought you were <laughs> calling about roses. All right. Rose, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Well, thank you. I don't know if there's any plants named Paulette. Do you want to talk about that? <laughs> no, not that I know of. <laughs> okay. What do you got, Rose? What's going on? Okay. On one of your shows recently, you spoke about the eradication of Japanese beetles, and I've had some great success using milky spore. Excellent. I haven't heard of so um, I have put it in. It, the milky spore is a natural, I'm sorry, <clears throat> It's a bacteria that occurs naturally in Japanese soil, and you apply it to your soil. It eats the Japanese beetle grubs, and then it multiplies. I applied it in 2017 and mm -hmm. in 2018. After the first application, my number of Japanese beetles went down about 50%, and after the second application, the number of beetles I had was reduced to about 10% of what I'm used to, Almost gone. I can't wait to see what happens this year because it takes about three years for it to be fully effective. Okay, so, and you're applying it in late summer, early fall. When are you putting it down? I was doing it right in the worst kind of heat, about going about August. Okay, good. Yeah, but it was highly effective. And, in fact, when I was transplanting roses one time, I encountered a uh, Japanese beetle, beetle grub or two that was already being consumed. So it was kind of neat to see it in action. Okay, so here's the deal. You're mostly right. Uh, when Japanese beetles first appeared in this country, they uh, kind of snuck in on a shipment of azaleas from Japan. But this was back in the 30s. Japan was not our enemy yet. And USDI scientists went over to study them in their native habitat, and we're shocked to find out that Japanese beetles were so rare that people treasured them because they were so shiny and green and gold. They were felt to be good luck, believe it or not. And there were two reasons for this. One, Japan is a tight country with a lot of people, and they didn't have a lot of room for lawns, which is where Japanese beetles breed. Secondly, a lot of their soils were, for lack of a better word, inoculated with this naturally occurring soil organism. It doesn't eat the beetle grubs. The beetle grubs eat the spores, the milky spores. Now, the spores themselves aren't milky, but when you apply milky spore disease 
to your lawn or your garden soil if that's where the grubs are in like exactly as you said the worst summer heat what happened before is the female beetles laid their eggs in these areas the eggs then went through a couple of different instars that's where a little grub comes out and it turns into a bigger grub until finally the grubs are the final size we're used to seeing and then they eat the roots of plants mostly lawn grasses so at this time when they're eating actively and the soil is warm and the spores are added to the soil it's pretty easy for a grub to accidentally eat a single spore when they do the grub turns milky white that's where the name comes from and dies very quickly but then exactly as you said then becomes a factory that breeds more milky spore so even though it seems counterintuitive the more grubs you start with the faster and better the milky spore disease is going to work because you've got these you know thousands maybe tens of thousands of little milky spore factories waiting for the next run of grubs. It's fascinating. <laughs> I'm so glad I'm talking with you because I really learn things that you don't normally hear anywhere. I mean, the product is being sold and people tell you, use this, but you don't know the details, and I love details. Oh, yeah. Uh, they Garden centers sell it in the spring, and it's useless in the spring for two reasons. First of all, the soil has to be 70 degrees. That's measured four inches down. And that's not going to happen until, as you say, we get into the real dog days of summer. And the grubs have to be feeding. Otherwise, they can't ingest the spore. And grubs only feed in the fall. When the weather starts to warm up, they simply make their way up through the soil and emerge as armored adults. They don't eat at that point in the spring. So the only time it's going to be effective is exactly like you say, late July, early August, when you don't see any flying around anymore, uh, but they're actively feeding close to the surface on the roots of plants. Okay, thank you very much, Mike. I really learned quite a lot. Thank you very much. Love your program. Oh, thank you, Rose. Thanks for the report. Oh, did we, we didn't even ask you where you were yet. Oh, I'm sorry. I live in a rural area outside Taneyville, Missouri, in the Ozark Mountains. Oh, beautiful up there. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, enjoy your garden, enjoy your roses, and enjoy your, um, your mountains. Thank you. All right. You take care. As promised, it is time for the question of the week, which is not a question. It is 26 Secrets of Success for first-time growers. Now, back when I was editor-in-chief of Organic Gardening Magazine at Rodale Press in the 1990s, we had a training exercise where we all had to pick one other editor to be stranded on a desert island with. The editor I got along with the least instantly picked me. When I asked him why, he said, at least I'll have plenty to eat. Well, we're all on desert islands now, and many of you want to have a food garden over the summer for the first time, both to keep busy and to have fresh-grown food without having to wear a mask. And I want to make sure that you have plenty to eat. So here are the basics 
for first-time success. We're going to go through these real fast. All right, stay with me. Start small. Don't try to establish a farm overnight. Only plant what you can manage. Know thy seasons. Cool weather crops like spinach, lettuce, kale, and peas won't last through the summer. And summer crops like tomatoes and peppers can't stand chilly nights. So harvest all of your lettuce and such when summer hits and plant them anew as soon as the summer heat breaks for a fall crop. Lettuce, spinach, kale, beets, radishes, zucchini, and string beans are always ripe. If you can see them, you can eat them, and you should. The smaller, the tastier they are. Don't plant warm weather crops until the 10-day forecast shows nights consistently in the 50s. Tomatoes, small, compact, determinate varieties are best for beginners. They'll have a days to maturity rating of around 55 to 70 days and produce a lot of fruit on well-behaved plants that require minimal support. They're great for containers as well. Peppers. Classic varieties like California Wonder take a long time to reach full size and then another two weeks to a month to fully color up. So look for sweet peppers with shorter days to maturity like Italian frying peppers and mini bells or baby bells. They'll color up fast. Don't eat green peppers unless frost is predicted. They're not ripe. Cucumbers. Grow them on a trellis or inside a tomato cage to save space and keep the fruits nice and clean. Zucchini and other summer squash. Look for compact style plants that are labeled bush. String beans, a.k.a. green beans, same thing. You want to look for bush types. They stay small and compact, whereby pole beans require a very tall trellis. Potatoes, one of the easiest crops to grow. Look for certified disease-free seed potatoes and do not cut them up or coin them into pieces. Plant them whole and consider growing them in a big potato bin. You'll find all the details online at our website. Pumpkins, don't. It sounds like fun, but they will overrun your garden faster than kudzu. Starting from seed, don't. It's best to have a couple years gardening experience before you start trying to start your own plants inside. It's also much too late in the season to start summer crops from seed unless you live in a very warm climate. Special conditions. Mail order seed companies are overwhelmed right now, so make sure you know shipping dates before you order. Your best bet is always a local independent garden center. Here in PA, they're open for curbside pickup. You order online and they'll bring your order out to your car. Now, rules in individual states are going to vary widely, but please make small independent nurseries your first choice. Hey, and don't forget people like me. If you have friends or neighbors who always start way too many plants, ask for some of their extras and lots of their advice. Local botanic gardens and organic farms often have plant sales in the spring. Search these out as well. Planting. Do not use your flat earth unless it's been tested for lead and other heavy metals. If you must plant in flat earth, establish growing lanes that are no wider than four feet 
with two feet of open space in between each one so you're not stepping on the soil and compressing it around the roots of your plants. Do not till your soil or you will only grow weeds, and lots of them. Raised beds deliver twice the food in half the space. Real easy. Scalp the area with a lawnmower set as low as she goes. Cover the space with cardboard and create dedicated areas that, again, are four feet wide for growing with two-foot walking lanes all around. Frame them about a foot high with low-grade cedar or redwood, bricks, cinder blocks, pavers, or just plain old cheap untreated pine. Do not use any kind of treated wood or railroad ties. Fill the beds with a mixture of compost, aged mushroom soil, good quality topsoil, and perlite. Don't use your garden soil. Don't use wood ashes, milled peat moss, or manures of any kind unless you are sure you know what you're doing. Don't use chemical fertilizers, herbicides, or fungicides, period. They're unnecessary and weaken your plants. Always wear gloves when working with your soil. Baseball batting gloves are an excellent choice and they're widely available in a large number of different sciences or sizes, whichever comes first. There's no need to feed if your beds have a good amount of compost or aged mushroom soil mixed in. Otherwise, the best fertilizer is a two-inch layer of compost on the surface of the soil, not tilled in. Next up would be liquid organic fertilizers. Granular organic fertilizers are fine as well, but you should always cover those with soil or compost after application to activate them. Containers. You can use anything that drains, baby. A clawfoot bathtub, an old rotting pickup truck, the decks of wheelbarrows whose feet have died long ago, baby pools with holes punched in the bottom. Be creative. And finally, remember to breathe, grasshopper. Now remember, this is only a bullet point list. Every topic I've mentioned here has a detailed article or seven that I've written about online. I'll tell you how to access those articles in a minute. Well, that sure was a lot of rapid fire advice about first year success now, wasn't it? Luckily for you, you can read it all over at your leisure or your leisure and search for details on all the cool stuff we just threw at the wall because the question of the week and previous questions of the week appear in print at the Gardens Alive website. Just click the link for the question of the week at our website, which is still and will forever be youbetyourgarden.org. Gardens Alive supports the You Bet Your Garden question of the week, and you will always find the latest question of the week at the Gardens Alive website. Yikes, my producer is threatening to sink my raised beds if I don't get out of this studio. We must be out of time. But you can call us anytime at 833-727-9588 or send us your email. You're tired, you're poor, you're wretched refuse teeming towards our garden shore, as long as they all stay six feet apart at YBYG at WLVT.org. Please include your location. And you'll find all of this contact information, plus answers to your garden questions, audio of this show, video of this show, audio and video of old shows, and links to our internationally renowned podcast. It's all at our website, youbetyourgarden.org. 
You Bet Your Garden is a half-hour public television show, an hour-long public radio show and podcast, all produced and delivered to you weekly by Rodale Institute Radio and Television at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Our radio show is distributed by PRX, the public radio exchange. You Bet Your Garden was created by Mike McGrath. Mike McGrath was created by several suspicious characters on a dark and stormy night. Ken Queter plays our theme song. Our chief content officer is Yoni Greenbaum. Our angel of the airways is Christine Dempsey. Our engineer is cheerful Charlie Sarah. Our social media director is Amanda Norfleet. Check out her fine work and ponder lots of pretty pictures at the You Bet Your Garden Facebook page. Our peerless princess of profound production is Tavia Minnick. Our website wonder is Nicole Harrell. Our audio editor is the lovely Jonas Bowen. Our video editor is judicious Jake Boyer. Our harassed and harried director is Javier Diaz. Eric Werner is working from home. Zach the Tack Wisniewski is asleep at the wheel. Our one-man band is Jake Morris. John Flynn is in the game and on the loose. Thanks to our fearless leader, CEO Tim Fallon, who either keeps allowing us to come in to tape new material or still has no idea that we're here. I'm your host, Mike McGrath, saying keep your distance, wash your hands, tend your garden, and at least you'll have lots of tomatoes, if not toilet paper. Hmm, not sure how that's going to work out, Pilgrim. But face front, true believers, and I'll see you again next week. Yeah, 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 yeah. This is the ticket. Oh, it is, is it? Beautiful night. I got my best girl with me. Although, you know what could make it even better? Let me guess. Some mint chocolate chip. Bingo. You always get a little sappy when that sweet tooth kicks in. Partners since the beginning. Throughout life, you have many different partners. Shouldn't you have one for the most important aspect of life? Your health. Lehigh Valley Health Network. Your health deserves a partner. Learn more at lvhn.org. What fascinating topic are we going to cover for you next time around? I'm Mike McGrath, and on the next You Bet Your Garden, I have no idea. We just know that it'll be fun and that I will probably get into trouble. Plus your fabulous phone calls. 